The midwives are powerful. And the most powerful man in the world is denied by the power of the midwives. What am I talking about? We'll talk about it today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Hembrick. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We take you through the Bible every year, been doing it for 31 years. This is our 32nd year in the book of Exodus. It's good. Now, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what did you do today? I am taking a look at the ever controversial date of the Exodus. Ryan? Today, my segment focuses on one of the most talked about passages in the whole Bible, the famous burning bush passage in Exodus 3. The burning, the bush that burned, but never burned. Very interesting. All right, Janice, what are you doing? I want to talk about courageous faith. All right. All of this in the next half hour, so make sure you make time for us. Get your Bible out and your Bible guide, and let's figure out what God is saying to us today right now. Exodus 1, verses 15 through 22. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Exodus chapter 1 verses 15 through 22. We move to the book of Exodus, chapters 1 to 3, as we continue reading through the Bible for the 32nd time, 32 years. The first five heroes of Exodus, the Old Testament book, were women. The Bible is frequently charged with being chauvinistic. But wait a minute, it's easily misunderstood. You see, the Bible records history, and it's reporting on human nature. It's not endorsing that nature. A lot of people don't understand that. The Bible's history may be depressing at times, but it all leads to the amazing work of God through Jesus Christ and his nature. You see, we get to see and understand God demonstrate his love to what should be unlovable people. That's us. The battle against human nature has been won. Sin has been defeated. The first heroes of Exodus are Jochebed and Miriam, the mother and sister of Moses. Now, the next heroes are the Hebrew midwives, Shephirah and Puah. 
They disobeyed direct orders from the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, that would have them killed because they were to kill Hebrews, males at birth, Hebrew babies that were boys. Now, there's a note in Exodus that God blessed them because of their obedience to him above any other power. Now, this, there's a lot here. This is fascinating. Let me tell you, take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have a Bible guide, remember, we'll send you the Bible guide. If you simply write to us or if you simply call us. And uh, when you do so, ask for the Bible guide. We'll make sure we get it to you right away because we're going through the entire Bible this year. It's very exciting. And uh, you can get your January guide now. It's not too late and get you hooked up for uh, Exodus and all the rest of them. So that's good. You can go to Bible Discovery TV, make a donation there, whatever the Holy Spirit tells you, and then you can download it. And uh, when you do, it's exactly like we printed, only it's a PDF file. And you can see historical obedience. That's our page where we study Exodus 1, 15 to 22. Now, why are we starting in the middle? Simply because we have done the previous year's other verses. We've never done these verses before. So as we look at this, I pray, Father, you would help us to see the historic obedience and the details surrounding this particular image in history. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. All right, here we go. Watch this. We go down to verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Did you get that? Of whom the name of one was Shapira and the other name was Pua. And he said, when you do these duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but saved the male children alive. Isn't that something? You see, the midwives feared the authority of God more than the authority of Pharaoh. Above all else, we must know and stand on the authority of God and his word. One of the things I need to tell you this, one of the things that I've noticed today is the fights going on about different things. And people say the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, and it doesn't. We need to know what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. We need to work it out in our lives because God supports his word. Whatever it is in his word, that's what we need to stand on with the conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. We can't say, well, this says, the Bible says that. The Bible says God helps those who help themselves. No, it doesn't. It does not. The Bible never says that. So we need to pay attention to the word of God and understand what he says. Very important. All right. Let's go on because this is interesting, 18 and 19. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. He's going to put them on trial here and said to them, why? Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? Now, they're, they're forced to tell him the truth. But the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. The midwives lied to Pharaoh. And we are accountable before God first. We are accountable before God first, beloved. 
for our decisions and our actions in life. We are accountable before God first. You see, beloved, listen to me carefully. The government is a servant of the people. It is not God. The government is not God. God is perfect. God is holy. God is in heaven. God is somebody we pray to. And if we are people who are Christians or Christ-like, then we follow God and we, we, we live our lives, try to live our lives following God. We will work very carefully to do things that are right. You see, cheating and stealing and all of that is prohibited in the Bible. Killing people prohibited in the Bible. Very important that we understand what this concept means. Now, I don't have time to go further into it. We'll do a sermon on it sometime. I do sermons regularly here. So watch for that. Let's go on. Chapter 1, verse 20. Here is what the Bible says. And then it says, therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, even though they lied. God dealt well with them, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God. The midwives feared God, feared God, that he provided households for them. So what Pharaoh did is he commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river. Every daughter you shall save alive. God rewarded the midwives with families. God blesses and provides for us as we follow him. Now, I don't know what it is we are facing, but I do know if we focus our attention on God, and I can tell you, Corey Ten Boom is one of them. And she was faced with decisions. Do I tell that we have hidden Jews and they are taken away and killed, or do I lie? She was in a similar situation than the midwives were. And she did what she did. That's God to help her because there were layers of lies, layers of trouble, layers of things. And this much of the law could not handle all the layers. She went down to the basics. They were looking to kill. But if she simply said, they're not here, they carried on. That's exactly what happened. Beloved, not a, I've, I met her, and I've not met somebody so profound as Corey Ten Boom. I'm not suggesting that lying is right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you deal with God, you come back to his level up there, and you understand that I'm dealing with God's level. That becomes very important. So listen today as we focus on this and hear God and we pray about it. We have to pray that we can obey everything God said. This is very important. So, as we think this through, remember, the Bible says, thou shalt not lie to your brother. Don't lie to each other. But at the same time, we must not kill. Very, very important. Let's study on. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. 
Today, as we begin to look at the historical event of the Exodus, I wanted to kind of set um, the, the stage by looking at what the Bible has to say about when the Exodus actually occurred. The Bible does very clearly, you know, when you look into it and you pay close attention uh, to what it says, it does. I think quite clearly date the Exodus, but there is definitely scholarly debate over this. And obviously when you date the Exodus will impact whether or not you find evidence for Israel in Egypt or even for the Exodus event in the historical record, because you could potentially be looking in the wrong place by hundreds of years. So let's take a look at the dating of the Exodus. The question of the timing of the Exodus is an important one. If timed incorrectly, then scholars will be looking for evidence in the wrong time period. And this is what has happened. Many scholars time the Exodus in the 13th century BC with the famous Pharaoh Ramses II. The problems with the 13th century Exodus abound. It struggles against the biblical evidence. It's trying to solve a biblical problem by not taking the Bible into account. A surefire way to fail. And fail it has. The 13th century Exodus dating is why many scholars today say that there's no evidence for it and it's therefore mythological. But what does the Bible actually say? In 1 Kings 6, the Bible dates the building of Solomon's temple to his fourth year as king and the 480th year after the Exodus. By using 967 BC for Solomon's fourth year, the year 1446 BC is given for the Exodus. Proponents of the 13th century Exodus date claim that the 480 years in 1 Kings 6 is symbolic and should instead be taken as 12 generations of people times the biblical idealization of a generation, 40 years. But since a generation is really about 25 years, they multiply 12 by 25 and arrive at a 300-year gap between Exodus and Solomon. This discounts, however, the genealogical data of 1 Chronicles 6, which lists 19 generations between Exodus and Solomon. Judges 11 also gives an approximate date. The Israelites had been living in the Promised Land for about 300 years when the Ammonite oppression began. We only have an approximate date for the Ammonite oppression of around 1100 BC. Adding 300 years to this still gets us to 1400 BC for the conquest and then 1440 for the Exodus. Still more evidence arrives from the Jubilee year cycle. Ezekiel 40 gives precise numbers for dating the 17th cycle. By counting back 17 cycles of 49 years, you arrive at the first Jubilee celebrated on entrance to the Promised Land with a date of 1406 BC, adding 40 years for the wilderness, and you have 1446 BC for the Exodus. So there we go. I am a big proponent of the 1446 date of the Exodus because I just don't think that you can get around the scriptural evidence for it. I have looked at the case for, you know, the 13th century uh, date for the Exodus and, um, you know, the, the Ramses theory, but I just don't think it holds as much weight either historically or biblically. So I always want to make sure that my views uh, align with what I think is the best interpretation of the biblical data. Now, if you you hold a different view than me, I think that's completely fine. You know, when we're talking about historical dating, as long as we accept the scripture for, for what it is and what it says, I think that's the most important part. Uh, so, so hear me, I'm not trying to make, you know, if you, if you really think that Ramses too is the fair of the Exodus, I'm not trying to make any enemies here, but I would just say, you know, if it's important to you, I think you should consider some of the historical data because it's really interesting and leads down very cool historical doors. 
You know, the 1446 theory is, I believe that too. And I think it's very important to remember that there are things that come into play and you can see it. You can see how it comes out. And, and uh, you know, there's a, a big argument on this because a popular movie was made on Ramsey's yeah, and all that. Yeah, a couple of them. But even scholars argue over the dates, but you know, I, I think the Bible says what it says mm-hmm. and it is what it is. Yeah, and the big thing for me is that even if it wasn't the Bible, even if this was just a completely different historical document, I don't think it's a fair assessment of the historical document to only take part of what it says and and then make a whole bunch of conclusions about just part of what it says. So in this instance, I think that we, if we're going to be responsible with the historical data, we need to look at what the Bible says about the Exodus and when it happened to properly evaluate if it did indeed happen in reality. Otherwise, we're not actually evaluating the Bible. We're evaluating our ideas about yeah. the Bible. And, and that's that's very important because we see the Bible as God's word. We see right. it as, as the only problem that we would have is interpreting the Bible. Mm-hmm. And But the Bible itself, the word of God, the Hebrew and the Greek, these are the words that God used with the Aramaic and in Ezra and so on and Daniel. And so these are the words that that uh, are true and we have to base everything on that. So that's really the essential of what we're talking about mm-hmm. here. Very good, Corey. Okay, Ryan. Yeah, well today to go along with our reading, I really wanted to focus on Exodus chapter three in which God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. Now, as you can imagine, this passage has gotten a lot of attention over the years by a lot of pastors, Bible scholars, and commentators. But did you know that one of the earliest interpreters of this passage was Jesus himself? In Matthew 22, the Sadducees challenged Jesus on the biblical doctrine of resurrection. And in response, Jesus points to this very passage that we read today. Check it out. At the turn of history, when Jesus Christ walked this earth, there were four different Jewish factions the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Of these, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the ones who regularly opposed the teachings of Jesus. As a matter of fact, just after the Lord cleansed the temple for a second time, the Sadducees challenged him on the biblical doctrine of resurrection. Unlike the Pharisees who believed in the authority of the whole Tanakh, the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of Moses as scripture. And since there were no apparent examples of life after death in the Pentateuch, they rejected the idea of bodily resurrection. This is why they decided to publicly challenge Jesus to a theological debate on this issue. And they begin by pointing to Moses' command in Deuteronomy 25.5 regarding leveret marriage, which says that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. The Sadducees then proceed to tell Jesus about seven brothers. The first died after he had married, they explained, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of these seven will she be? For they all had her. To be sure, the Sadducees had concocted this story only as a means to mock the idea of life after the grave. But Jesus wasn't the least bit befuddled. You are mistaken, he said, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. The Lord here, in the same breath, was correcting not just one, but two of their errors. 
First, regarding the resurrection of the dead, but second, regarding the existence of angels. According to Acts 23.8, Sadducees did not believe in angels or spirits. And so by comparing the resurrection bodies of humans with angels, Jesus was effectively plucking two weeds with one pole. But then he returns to the main concern of the debate. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, he continues, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God through Moses, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. As Jesus full well knew, the Sadducees would not accept his words or any words outside of the five books of Moses as authoritative, which is precisely why he ends off by quoting Exodus 3.6, which indisputably confirms that there is indeed a resurrection for God's own. And if there was any question of whom the victor of this debate was, the reaction of the people says it all. The Sadducees were silenced and the crowd was astonished. I know that there's a lot of great Bible commentaries out there, but the truth is nothing can compare with the commentary our Lord Jesus gives. In fact, when any of the Holy Spirit-inspired authors of the Bible interpret other biblical passages, we need to accept those interpretations as fact. One of the very first rules of Bible study is interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Yes, like I said, there are a lot of good Bible commentaries available, but none of them are, are totally without error. Only scripture can hold to that perfect standard. It's very important to keep that in mind. And I think that we need to do that. Now on the next program on Tuesday, we're gonna be talking about Moses who was called by God to confront Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, Moses. And this is an amazing story because Moses wasn't a big deal. He was a shepherd. So a shepherd confronts the head of state. We're gonna be talking about that on the next program, Jen. Well, I called my segment Courageous Faith because we are introduced to two women here and we're given their names. One is Shifra, which means beautiful one, and Pua, which means splendid one. And they were two women that were likely heading up a group of midwives that helped to deliver Hebrew babies. Now, we know from the story that uh, Pharaoh uh, wants all of the male children killed at birth. And we hear about Shifra and Pua, and I believe that their names are preserved in this account in Exodus because they're godly women. We learn that in Genesis 22, verse 12, and Exodus 20, verse 20, they had courageous faith. Why can I say that? Well, because the most powerful man in the world at that time, Pharaoh, gave them a commandment that he wanted them to do, but their fear, their reverence, their awe of the living God was more important to them than what could happen to them if they disobeyed Pharaoh. And that's what these women did. So um, at the same time, when I say that their names are mentioned here, let's note that some of the key players in this event, hence the Pharaoh, is not named. So we are to be looking and highlighting these women. God wanted their courageous faith in this desperate time to be highlighted. So I think, and you talked, Rod, um, about the, 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 the first five women here in Exodus who were real heroines 
uh, of the faith and, and that made a difference in, in the Exodus. And so one thing's for certain, they knew the living God. You can see that in verse 17 and 21, and they were women with a courageous faith. And so do we have that same kind of courageous faith that these Hebrew women had um, in, in the face of things that we are challenged with in our day? Are we following the, the word of God in our hearts? Are we doing what God has called us to do? Do we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love others as we love ourselves. Do we do that? Do we put that into our hearts? Are we the encouragers? Are we the people that speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ? The hope that this world has, the only hope, the only true peace. Jesus is that Prince of Peace. He is our hope. He is our salvation. God is our provider, our protector. These two women were an example of trusting in God. And that's literally what they had to do, going against this man who had much power. You'll see also this, this extra note that I've added onto myself here with extra time, which I have a minute and 35 seconds extra time. You see in the beginning of this chapter of Exodus that difficult times were being applied. This was a new Pharaoh around. He was not the same Pharaoh that knew of Joseph. And he didn't know, he, he, he took the Hebrew people and their population as a threat to him and to his empire. And so he began to make life very difficult for these people. But as you can see in these difficult times, in these difficult situations, every time something else was put upon the people of God, God blessed them and God multiplied them. And, you know, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning that when we go through difficult times in our lives as believers, if we fear, not a fear of dread, but a fear of reverence of who God is versus who we are, he is our creator. He is our provider. He is the one that we put our lives under. If we can live through these difficult times, knowing that God is our provider, knowing that God is our protector. It is God who blesses. It is God who gives and it's God who takes away. When we live like that, it doesn't matter what we go through. We don't go through it alone. We have God at our side. Holy Spirit fills us and helps us. He is our guide. He is our comforter. He is our healer. He is our hope. That's how we have to live. In these days where we hear all kinds of different things, remember that God is our God. He is our source and he will help us if we put our trust in him. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery TV with a prayer meeting. We invite you to come and join. We'll pray for you as we pray for all of the things. We're gathering people in prayer. It becomes very important. Today, at the end of the program, we're going to pray. And let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, help me to be strong so that I can follow you with my whole life. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen.